Welcome to the Planted Mindset podcast and I am absolutely super excited to be joined by Dr. Vincent Esposito. Um, He is my guest on this episode. As a board certified chiropractor and nutritionist based out in New York, he is the founder of the Inside Out Health and Wellness website, the co-founder of Evoke Health and co-host of the Art of Eating podcast. He uses his expertise in functional medicine principles to help investigate and identify underlying factors causing chronic illnesses for his clients. He is passionate about plant-based nutrition and he shares the latest information on whole foods plus recipes and more on his YouTube channel. So welcome to the podcast, Vincent. Thank you, Natasha. Uh, Glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, thank you for coming on. I mean, there's so much that we could talk about. So let, let's just dive in straight away. But first of all, could you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Um, yeah, sure. So I am, well, I live in Brooklyn, New York, but I, uh, I grew up in New York City um, from both my parents are from Brooklyn. So um, Italian American background um, for me. So food um as you might imagine was always kind of the uh the forefront it was definitely a staple of kind of my day-to-day life um you know it was whatever i was doing as a kid growing up it was you know be home at six o'clock for dinner um and that was something that basically stayed with me till i was through college or going away to college i was with my i used to watch my mom kind of cook all the time i never really did any of it on my own Um, And I was honestly a pretty active kid. I was uh, really never sick for the most part. I ate home a lot. Didn't think anything of it. Um, I went away to undergrad. I played uh, ball in college. And while I was there, um, uh, when I was a freshman, my first year there, I put on over the first like two years, I put on about like 25 pounds. But I also was like developing and in my, you know, infinite wisdom at the time, I thought all that weight was kind of muscle mass, like we're put on, you know, a strength training program. So, you know, I just thought, oh, this is muscle mass. This is great. And I kind of wasn't thinking too much of it. But simultaneously, I was developing um, like gut issues I never had before. Things like constipation, diarrhea would kind of like alternate. Um, I get, was getting brain fog from time brain fog, maybe just not as clear as I used to be. I noticed I started drinking coffee. I never did before I went away to college and it was less of a, I want it than more of like, I need to, you know, get myself kickstarted in the morning. Mm -hmm. And one of the other things that I noticed was I developed uh, seasonal allergies, never had that before I went away to school. And I thought I was making the right decisions a lot of the time. Like, I mean, we're kind of at the mercy of whatever's in the dining halls for the most part. So (laughs) I would, I would get, you know, a salad and then kind of just have what was that, whatever was on the menu. And I thought, you know, at that time that was, what was good. So I went with that. Um, And I kind of went through college, you know, about the same weight and kind of had these same issues. And then once I graduated, I started uh, chiropractic school later that summer. And that was really the first time I started living by myself. Uh, That was the first time I lived uh, alone. So I very quickly realized that I could not rely on uh, eating out every day, that that bill adds up very quickly. (laughs) So I finally decided to uh, call my mom. I basically, uh, I called her about basically every day for about a couple months. 
talking about, you know, a lot of the stuff that she used to make, how to do it. And I'm talking like the minimal basics, how to turn on a stove, how to turn on an oven, how to boil water, <laughs> like stupid, <laughs> simple things that I like started with. Um, and I was making a lot of, I mean, I guess what are the, like the uh, stereotypical like Italian American stuff. It was like the chicken parm and, you know, pasta dishes and all this stuff. And that's just kind of what I was exposed to for the most part. Um, so that's kind of what I learned first. And kind of over this first year of school in chiropractic school, I learned, I was tried to make a game of it. I would, when I would come home from classes, like I'd put on the food network cause I'd like just watching the shows and seeing what other people do. And I'd make a game of it. I tried to make dinner and clean up like within an hour or so. And that's really kind of how I taught myself like the basics of how to cook. And this was like really without keeping or taking, you know, nutrition per se into account. Like I thought I was making like decent decisions, make salads, et cetera, stuff like that. But I was still having a lot of these issues, like issues that developed in college. They didn't really go away. They were kind of still there. And it wasn't until my second year uh, I was taking biochemistry again, and there was actually a uh, a naturopathic physician who taught the class, and she taught, and I took biochemistry before, but I had to take it again in school, and she taught it through this lens of um, nutrition and food and how food plays a role in altering, uh, you know, kind of basic biochemistry, biochemical pathways, and I was like, huh, this is pretty cool. And it just so happened the school I was at also offered a master's degree in um, nutrition. So I decided to double down and do that concurrently. And once I started that, um, I started learning about, I mean, obviously a lot more detail in nutrition, but also about all these different diets. And I started doing my own research on it and reading, you know, books from other doctors, things of that nature. And about six months into that, I decided, all right, like, if I'm taking all these courses, if I'm learning about it, like I got to, you know, kind of put it to the test and do it myself. Yeah. You got to implement so I did. it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not, if I'm going to spend all this money taking these classes, like I, I got to see if it actually works. Right. Yeah. And be your, only gu your, be your own guinea pig then. Exactly. Patient zero. I was my own guinea pig. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I did that. So it's slowly for me, um, it was a lot of the added sugars, which there weren't a ton of, but I started getting rid of. I know dairy is a big thing for a lot of people, but I was never big on it. So that was easy for me to kind of omit. And then the one of the larger things I did was slowly uh, taper back off my uh, meat consumption. So it so was... Was there a viewpoint given at that point? Because obviously uh, plant-based eating or veganism is is a buzzword now but was right. it through the the studying or through your teacher what what made you decide to dial back firstly you said dairy wasn't a big part but what made you dial back specifically perhaps on the meat um honestly it was a lot of the books i was reading uh so some of it was through classes the 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 stuff that stuck out to me is actually the same things that I usually recommend to patients and clients first, and it's actually a couple books. Um, the one that made the most sense to me was, at least initially, was this book, The Blue Zones. Yeah. Um, if you don't know what those are, just really quickly, they're like uh, portions of the human population kind of all over the world that live abnormally long. And it's written by an investigative journalist. So it's not a scientist, not a medical doc a doctor really of any kind. And he basically just kind of documents his 
his journey is going to these areas. There's one in Italy. There's one in Japan. There's one in the States. There's one in Costa Rica. Um, there's a couple others that are escaping me at the moment. But basically, these, these populations live normally long. And he basically tied in kind of commonalities between all them. And a couple things stuck out to me. And then this has also panned out in a lot of the research I did afterwards was they were, if not uh, vegan, they were very close to 100% plant-based. And then they had certain things that were staples. So uh, whole grains of some kind, it could have been potatoes or sweet potatoes or rice. Um, legumes were a huge part of it. So I was like, okay, let me start swapping out maybe meat at every meal for, um, you know, roasted chickpeas or something like that, or black beans. And I slowly tapered off from at every meal to every maybe once a day to about a couple times a week until eventually now, I mean, I mean, for the last few years, I haven't bought it at all. Um, so what I noticed about over a, a six month period, as I'm slowly phasing this out, things started to change really quickly. And over the first two months, the digestive issues that I was having basically just disappeared like bowel movements normalized almost completely um the brain fog or or the 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 need for coffee in the morning faded now i still enjoy coffee but it's not i don't need the caffeine boost per se um and about five or six months in i lost all the weight i put on in college came off now i will say i understand you know n equals one this is a small experiment but my training habits were basically the same my i mean what i was doing varied but the time i put in was more or less the same my sleep habits were pretty much the same my stress levels were kind of equal so a lot of those like confounding factors i mean at least for me were kind of all the same it was in a different location but it was the same so really all i really changed was why i was eating without changing those other factors and over those six months i kind of went like oh holy crap this makes a big difference <laughs> So you mentioned that you had some seasonal allergies. Did you find that they cleared up as well? Yeah, I would say over, it wasn't immediate. Um, uh, I would say over the next like two concurrent years, um, other than like really bad days where it, there's like super high pollen counts and stuff like that, it's a non-factor. I went from like taking something like Benadryl like every day to I don't think I own it. Um, I don't own it. Uh, so and that took about, you know, two years. Now, granted, seasonal allergies aren't all year. They're seasonal. So could it have gotten better more quickly? Maybe. Uh, I don't know that because obviously, you know, seasonal allergies are only at a certain time of the year. Um, but yeah, it, it was that was probably the biggest thing that stood out to me because I remember how bad it was. And the fact that I don't need to take it was uh, or something like Benadryl was really powerful. Sure, sure. I mean, to be fair, I've had uh, hay fever since uh, about 17, so over th 30 years now. And mm -hmm. um, every year I keep on wishing that it will disappear, uh, you know, on, on yeah. a seven year cycle and it's debilitating. And this year, other than the odd couple of occasions, I've had no symptoms. So I naturally assumed, I mean, obviously we, we were in a strange year this year anyway with uh, probably pollution levels lower because of covid right but um 
I didn't have any symptoms. So I was thinking, oh, maybe it's just not bad this year. And then I would talk to other people say, oh, my God, I'm really suffering. I'm really suffering. And I'm thinking that would normally be me. So that's a bit spooky. Um, and yeah. I'd gone plant based uh, the previous year. So that was the biggest revelation for me um, of 30 years of hay fever and awful, yeah. absolutely awful um, at night time. You know, I, I absolutely felt for any any student that's trying to take exams, you know, because it would always be bad right. around exam time, no symptoms. So, again, like you say, like, could it be that I had come to a cycle of going out of it? But, you know, I've changed my diet, so it's got to have something to do with it. I would suspect so as well, um, for sure. Uh, it's just... I, I'm sure more of that stuff's going to come out as we keep going along, but it does seem it, it makes sense with a lot of the kind of uh, immune system and the interplay uh, with like the gut microbiome and stuff like that. I don't want to get like too far into the weeds on that, but yeah. it, it does, it does seem to make sense kind of the more, at least I start looking into it. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about um, obviously the gut, which, uh, intrinsically linked with the brain that that gut brain connection uh, some mm -hmm. say it's the second brain enteric some say it's the first brain uh, because they yeah. are so interlinked and they play such a big role uh, with regards to our uh, potential anxiety depression and obviously you've mentioned in some of your blog posts about this um, inflammation in the body so um, mm -hmm. you've written some great articles there uh, what do you think people could do to improve their own um, gut microbiota? Yeah, so hmm. so a couple things. I, I think it's important to like understand like what the concept of it is like first because it's it's not that I, I like to think of it like as a garden. So. Uh, you know, the garden's going to grow certain plants based on how well it's watered, how well it's taken care of, you know, are things trimmed properly, are things kind of taken care of. And actually, in some ways, it's very similar to a muscle too. Um, and, you know, it's also going to adapt based on what it's exposed to. So for example, uh, if we go back to like sixth, seventh, eighth grade science class, where you're learning about different uh, biomes, you know, the desert versus the, uh, tropical jungle versus like a temperate climate. Certain things grow in, in different climates. And our guts, uh, the, the microbiome reacts in a similar way, except instead of, you know, a dry desert environment or, the, or a wintry cold one, it's the food we eat. So basically what food is making it into our our colon, our large intestine, that's where a lot of these, these, these bugs are found. They're in the colon. Um, is being morphed and it changes based on what we're eating. And depending on what we're eating, certain strains are going to either rise up or go away or kind of fade away because those foods basically are providing essentially food for the bacteria. Now, what seems to be pretty commonly known, or at least is becoming more commonly known, is the idea that many of these good bacteria are at least the ones we know about because we don't know as much as we do at this point. But what we're learning is the ones that tend to be of benefit do well on fiber. And you really only find fiber in plant foods. Actually, by definition, you only find it in plant foods. <laughs> um, 
so it seems to be that if we're providing the food for the good bacteria, which is this fiber, they're in turn helping us out down the road. And they do this a few different ways. One is they produce these things called short chain fatty acids. These things are useful for our colonocytes. Our colonocytes are, are the, the, our intestinal lining. And they're also having other downstream effects. Now, a couple of these things start with the immune system. So I don't know if uh, you or your listeners are aware, but about a lot, we're talking about the immune system, especially when it comes about allergies. Depending on where you look, somewhere between 60 and 80% of our immune system is located right around that gut lining. So there's a lot of interplay between our immune system and that gut lining, which is only one cell layer thick. So there's a symbiotic relationship going on there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, and and like people uh, that have symptoms, say, of leaky gut, then this would be of paramount of importance. Hmm. Absolutely. Um, it, it would probably make, I would say, one of the greatest differences is to slowly kind of up your fiber intake. Now, there are some caveats to this, and this is why it's kind of like important to work with someone. But generally speaking, you don't if you this is where the gym kind of analogy comes in. So if I am if I'm doing, I don't know, bicep curls um, and I know I can do I don't know, 40 pound bicep curls or whatever. Um, I know I can say do sets of 10 and be good, but what if someone who hasn't worked out in three years comes in, chances are they're probably not going to be able to do the same thing. Or let's take that. If you want to extrapolate that even further, what if I just hurt my arm? What if I, I don't know, tore my biceps and then got it repaired. And now I'm going back to the gym for the first time. I know I can't pick up where I left off a year ago or whatever, and start lifting 40 pound weights. I got to start with either body weight, two pound, five pound weights, and then build myself back up. So you can't just kind of jump into it 100% without having some sort of negative consequence or outcome. Um, And I think we're seeing this a lot now in this plant-based community, or if you people want to like jump into it 100%, and then you might notice initially oh man, I feel like crap or, you know, I feel bloated. Well, you're basically throwing a large fiber food quantity into an area that hasn't been trained to handle it yet. So it's kind of like slowly increasing. It seems to be making a bigger difference. Yeah, I love that analogy with the the gym um, because it's one of those things why someone would perhaps want to adopt a plant-based diet and then give up because they'll say, well, I can't eat the... And I, I thought the same for myself to start with. Obviously, pulses, I didn't think particularly agreed with me. But again, it's a bit like um, trying new foods. You have to do it over time, small doses. And, and as you said, the, the gut microbiome will get used to it over time, but you don't want to overload it. So building it up nice and slowly and and it will get stronger and obviously those microbes will increase to be able to deal with what it's handling um hence why someone that's been plant-based for a long time can eat beans with every meal but if you're starting out then it would probably be advisable to 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 reduce back on those beans until you can get used to it absolutely and it works the other way too which is super interesting right so If you are on maybe a super restrictive diet, the more restrictive you get, chances are the more food sensitivities you're going to develop. So 
the idea would actually be to increase diversity to to and this is where kind of every person's a little different because everyone's microbiome is a little different too so you might maybe be only able to handle a tablespoon or so say of black beans at a sitting but if you do it at every meal for you know a few weeks you can probably double that to two and then you slowly build that up and you can do this with a variety of different foods and slowly increase it and if you do it kind of strategically over time and depending on how how uh restrictive you were before this could take you know anywhere from a few weeks to a few months to maybe even longer depending on how many years this is going on but it seems to be this slow kind of reintroduction tactic is one of the most powerful tools the caveat to that being is you have to be able to there's a lot of self-testing and you have to be willing to kind of ride it out. And that's why it's really important to work with someone on this stuff, because there are going to be days where it's not going to be linear improvement, right? Some days are worse than others. I know even now, if I'm going to the gym, you know, some days, maybe I'm feeling a little sore. I started a new workout and I'm not like 100% built up yet. But the next week I come back and do the same thing. And it's like, I wake up the next day and I'm like, oh, I'm fine. It's that same kind of idea now just kind of inside of us. <laughs> Yeah, it's so true. But you've got it from both angles, because obviously you're reducing, again, something that the body's been used to. So if you're reducing that dairy or reducing that meat, again, um, it's a shock to the system to a certain extent. And hence why going slowly um, is probably going to be the uh, more beneficial and way for you to stick to and, and and sustain that change of diet but like you said there's um the variety not just in the foods that you're eating um but also eating seasonally which can boost obviously the the good gut bacteria but also um help with your immunity you mentioned a couple of things there which i wanted to sort of touch on obviously about food intolerances and each individual has a unique biome, a bit like their own fingerprint. So all calories aren't actually equal, are they, for, for one individual? And also not labeling foods as good or bad, but ultimately, uh, because sugar, you know, if you was just to say straight off, you'd say, well, that's bad. But sugar's found in fruit and fruit's not bad. But there's a reason why right. behind all that. So um, could we touch on a little bit about um, the food intolerances and and in and that down to an individual sure so okay so first it's important to distinguish the difference between food intolerances and food allergies these are actually two separate reactions they're done uh they're actually mediated by different parts of the immune system so your food allergies are going to be things like uh if if you have a peanut allergy or something like that for example I have a peanut and I have, I go into anaphylaxis. I go into anaphylactic shock. This is the thing that where you might know someone who carries around an EpiPen or something like that. This would be for something like that. And this is not what we're talking about. These are obvious immediate reactions that in some cases require being hospitalized. And in no way are you, you know, talking about this type of reaction. We're talking about sensitivities, which are, a lot, a lot of times more subtle. They're not obvious and overt like the allergies that I was just talking about. So with that out of the way, the sensitivities and intolerances many times seem to be more related to this 
uh, microbiome diversity. Um, and this goes for a lot of different things, whether, and it's funny, right? A lot of plants get hit hard on this whole grains get hit for, um, for, you know, gluten and beans get hit for lectins and all this <laughs> stuff. And I don't want to get like too far in the weeds on that. But the point is, it's basically these foods either weren't introduced to a certain point, there was inflammation in the gut or something that already altered the microbiome for long enough that when you reintroduce these things to usually a larger quantity, you're going to feel it over the next few hours or day. And a lot of books now have been written on, on things like lectins. I've read some of them that kind of demonize these things. But then when you look deeper into the science, you realize, wait, these are inactivated when you cook them. So they can't really be causing the issue. Um, it, so anyway, but what we're finding is that the longer you restrict them or eliminate these things totally, the more likely you are to develop sensitivities to them. And the way to get around that is to really kind of increase the diversity. So you mentioned eating seasonally. One of the best ways to increase the diversity, generally speaking, of what you're eating is by buying what's in season. It's going to be great for your wallet. It's going to be great for your uh, your your gut because you're by definition changing what you're eating every few months more or less. Um, so instead of looking at food sensitivities, and this is the tricky part with things like elimination diets, is because usually they're just kind of recommended, and then there's no kind of end point. It's just like this is the diet you're on, and you're kind of stuck with it. You're on a low FODMAP diet, and you know this is what you're on. It's not you know a life sentence here. What you need to do. If you're having issues, let's take FODMAPs, for example, is, yeah, sure, we should take some time probably away from them, give yourself a chance to to kind of catch up and have like this micro microbiome build a little bit with other foods that are not high FODMAP, but then slowly start reintroducing them kind of like we mentioned earlier. So, and again, it could be something as small as starting with literally a tablespoon of lentils or something. And if that's too much, cut it in half the next day and go there. And this is why, this is where that personalization of this comes. Everyone's microbiome, it, it, it is exactly like a fingerprint. It's unique to everyone. And there are a lot of factors that alter it. It could be things like stress and sleep and, uh, you know, mold, if you're exposed to things like molds or whatever, all these things play a role. So it's not fair to treat everyone exactly the same, but that kind of stepwise slow reintroduction is really going to be key. So this is following your 4R protocol, isn't it? To helping people repair their gut. So you've said about the removal of the, the product first and then sort of replacing it or reintroducing it slowly. Right. And there are some things you can use. And I mentioned things like other supplements and stuff like that. Um, I will say personally, I am not a huge fan of recommending a lot of supplements and kind of going with that i would much rather um and to be quite honest like it's this has been a really unfortunate time with with coronavirus because i think there's a lot of money being made on this kind of fear that a supplement's going to save you when that's just that's not how the immune system works um but what's it's more important to follow the steps versus the actual kind of um supplements and stuff that i've talked about in there because it has to be a stepwise reintroduction. Now there are more serious 
potential cases where you might have to work with someone individually, get the testing. Um, and then you come up with a game plan to kind of supplement on top of it. But that's all it should be is a supplement. It's not the major part of what you're doing. You still have to lay the groundwork and build the foundation or else it doesn't matter. You'll never out supplement poor diet or anything like that. Um, by, the, by the nature but of it, it saying a supplement, because it's so supposed to supplement your diet, not be your uh, diet. <laughs> exactly. And unfortunately, I don't think they're, they're treated that way, but yes. So that kind of that protocol is, is that kind of stepwise foundation. And again, it could be a few weeks for someone. It could be a few months. It could be sometimes even closer to a year. But again, that's going to be dependent on each person and where you you kind of are right now. But yeah, that's kind of the outline of it. Yeah, for sure. So this sort of identifies why then a calorie is not a, a calorie the same for every individual. And I've, I've done a lot of reading and oh, research yeah. on, and it's quite fascinating actually, when you could have someone with uh, the same um, uh, genet genetics, you know, say twins and they, as, as we've just mentioned, a unique uh, uh, gut microbiome individually, so that if they were even to be eating the same diet, they could potentially have a different um, outcome in their weights. So it's it's not like, you know, demonizing food isn't the right way to go. And I think um, ultimately any diet, and again, that gets demonized, is, is, is a way of eating that you can sustain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, and I think you bring up a really good point there, right? It's this categorization into to something's good or something's bad. Like, listen, if I ate if my entire diet, for example, was, I don't know, uh, kale, that's not necessarily going to be a healthy diet if all I'm eating is kale every day, because it comes back to that idea of diversity and things of that nature. So it all has to be kind of taken into context. And like, if there are general, you know, rules to, to kind of simplify things, it's you want to transition more in a way of whole unprocessed foods. You want to ideally get as much plant variety as possible. And I guess to kind of go on top of that, I, I try to talk about eating the rainbow a lot, getting different colors. There's a lot of different uh, phytochemicals, antioxidants, different nutrients, flavonoids, things like that, that are only present in certain color of certain foods. Uh, so trying to get a lot of different colors on your plate or throughout the week. Uh, those are kind of like the easy, simple rules to follow kind of as you, if you're looking to kind of go that route. And the thing is, I mean, that is so true. Um, it's also a feast for your eyes and the digestion, yeah. pro digestion process can actually start from the minute you clap eyes to your, your food on your plate, because you're seeing something that can actually activate the, 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 um, the saliva glands uh, ready for yep. the food that's to come. So that's another reason why, you know, foods are vibrant for, for absolutely a particular reason. Um, and, it shouldn't be just because you're eating plants, it shouldn't be classed as boring or rabbit food like some people do, you know, think it is. I mean, you, <laughs> yeah. you create some fantastic recipes um, and you obviously you share them on your YouTube channel and your website. But what I really love about them is is the color and the um, where you're experimenting with different flavors, because I 
I've always liked to cook. Um, I'm quite an artistic person, so I've always been okay to cook and and cook by taste. And now I have to do it visually because I'm the only one that's plant based in my family. So I still cook for the rest of the family, but I don't right. taste it. So it's just years of knowing how to cook like that. And then just saying to them, is it all right? <laughs> is it all right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but for me, like experimenting with different flavors and different textures, I'm still evolving. And that's the other thing I think when you go into a plant-based diet is that it can take a long time to feel comfortable and sort of achieve the success because like you say, there's so many variables into it that you may be the only one in the family. Um, so when I'm cooking two meals every night, I'm not necessarily wanting to be creative for my own meal. Um, and this is where I think seeing visual, easy recipes, uh, like the the ones that I've seen on your, your YouTube, do inspire me to go, yeah, well, I, I will cook that. And, oh, I fancy that. Because we, we want to enjoy our food because it's not just a... A means to an end uh, if we can actually take the time to slow down and and eat mindfully we're going to be absorbing more but also from a point of health and wellness um, we're helping our body in bringing it back to a little bit of homeostasis oh I, I could not agree more you know i was actually just talking with someone earlier today about this it's there are I think what often gets neglected is kind of this like social and emotional connection to, to a lot of the food we eat. Um, and it is, it's a way to socialize with people. It's a way to connect, particularly with anyone you share meals with on a regular basis or whether it's, you know, dinner with uh, friends or something like that. It, it's a, it's a social experience. Um, in terms of the flavor aspect to it, um, one of the nice things, see, I'm not a very uh, creative person. I don't have many creative outlets. Cooking is probably the only one. Um, <laughs> I've never been much of an artistic person, but this, I guess, guess, gives me a little bit of creative freedom. That, I think, to me, is the fun part of it and probably why I'm not a huge fan of baking. Um, baking is a little bit more scientific by the numbers. There's a little less room for flexibility. Um, but cooking, it's kind of like, here's the clean slate. It's kind of once you know the basic skills, then it's just how do you put the puzzle pieces together? And that part I like, I find a lot more um, fun. And I think, you know, something that I see a lot with my patients and, you know, clients is that's why I started doing this stuff actually was because they're like, I, you know, I see what you have for lunch. How do you make this? How do you make that? And I'm like, all right, I'm not going to explain this. I'm just going to like start making videos. No, it's, it's brilliant. And I, I love them. I think they're great. <laughs> I, li I like your facial expressions as well. But where do you get your yeah. inspiration from, Vincent? Uh, for cooking? Yeah. Um, huh. Um, well, that's a good question. I mean, like I kind of mentioned it before, like food was just always a big part of my life. Um. I mean, my mom was a big influence, especially in the beginning. Now it's like kind of flipped. She's the one asking me for for tips. Um, <laughs> oh, how cool. But but no, like outside of that, I, I used a lot of Food Network. There are some YouTubers, honestly, that I've learned a ton from. Um, like I've never really taken like classes or stuff like that. So like I have no professional, you know, culinary training at all. It's all been kind of self-taught. But there are some people I like. Uh, some, uh, there's a couple, there's a, a twin brothers that are up in Ireland near you, the happy pair. They have a YouTube channel that I love. Um, 
they do a bunch of like quick different meals stuff like that on their youtube channel it's fantastic like i would give them a follow um there's actually a guy here in uh brooklyn i believe his channel his channel on youtube is called pro home cooks uh, now it's not vegan or, or anything per se but it's all about making everything from scratch at home and similar to me he doesn't have any like professional training so that kind of resonated with me uh, uh but you know i mean i'm sure most of your listeners are not exactly professional chefs but so uh, that stuff is useful, particularly if you're looking for like basics, like how, like understanding larger concepts. I think that's, that's really good. That's what helped me a lot. I think when I was learning, uh, even before I went plant-based per se, it was more learning the basics of how to cook. That was super helpful for me. So those would be probably two of my inspirations in terms of one, learning the basics and one for like awesome, like easy vegan meals, I think, or, or plant-based meals. Uh, the happy pair is awesome for that. Oh, that's cool. I mean, that's the thing. It has to be easy to be able to stick to it. So what what two staples would you say in your plant-based diet you couldn't live without that are part of your, you know, weekly diet? I know, obviously, we we are talking about uh, varying our diet, <laughs> yeah. but but there are yeah, staples, obviously. <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of funny. So, like, we talk about rotating everything, like, as much as possible. Um. Huh. I guess if I had to pick like one of the the legumes, I would probably say lentils are my favorite. Um, I just think they're the most flexible. Uh, I, you can use them to make like a, a vegan version of a meatloaf or a lentil loaf or whatever. Uh, there's you could use it as like the base of like a a ground beef or something like that or a vegan version of it. Um, so that would be one. Um, I'm trying to think what would a second one be. The second one would actually probably not be a fruit or vegetable because I love adding mushrooms to like everything. <laughs> so it would be a fungus. Uh, but they're, they're, they're good, obviously, from a protein uh, perspective, yes, but also yes. from a because I think one of the things and, and maybe texture, but some people will say not. But obviously, one of the big uh, issues with converting to plant based, I think people find it hard to transition per se because they're not getting the, the same texture that they would with uh, having eaten meat. Yeah, I would agree. I think the texture is probably the harder thing to to replicate i think the taste you can get pretty close and but the texture mushrooms i think are great uh i like using chopped walnuts to help with that too um and it, actually lentils like one of my favorite combinations if i'm going for like a faux ground beef is some combination of lentils mushrooms and walnuts as like a base and then with like oh. garlic and onions and you could kind of add other things accordingly so you're saying like um, make it into either patties or, or you know, make it like a... a yeah, sure. You, you If you want to make them patties, you you know, you add, you know, oat flour or whatever. Mm -hmm. You can make it a ragu sauce by adding tomatoes. Like that's the base and then you, you know, play around with it. So there's other ways you can go. Um, oh. You can make it a meatloaf and add flour to it or, uh, you know, a lentil loaf. So oh. there's a lot of flexibility there. Um, that would be the base. What I will say in terms of taste, if you're looking for that, some of my favorite ingredients, this is this might be a better way to answer your question. Things I use every week are things like tamari, which is a gluten-free soy sauce. Uh, in terms of like umami and trying to get like a meaty flavor, uh, that's 
it, it's always in my fridge. It's there's very few days I probably don't use it in some regard. Uh, smoked paprika is really great. I would not even <laughs> bother with the regular sweet paprika. It's kind of a waste, in my opinion. Get the That's smoked my go to. Yeah, I, I literally go through um, like I have my own jar of that. And that, that goes in most of my foods. Um, so I would say those two tomato paste is good um, if you want or like a tomato puree. Uh, those would probably be three things if you're looking to replicate like like a meaty type flavor. Those are probably like the first ingredients that pop come into mind. So if you're looking for, you know, spices and condiments, that's what would be where I would start. Yeah, no, that that's cool. Um, I like the sound of what you were just talking about the the mushrooms, the lentils, and you, you're making me think. Right, what am I going to cook for my dinner yeah. tonight? <laughs> right, have I, have I got mushrooms? Have I, I know I've got lentils, and I'll get yeah. Right, so I'm, I'm going to be thinking of that. I'll be uh, going through your website. Um, <laughs> Just um, going forward, so I just want to shoot forward to where you see yourself in the next 10 years and sort of plant-based eating based on the back. I don't know if you've seen it, the David Attenborough uh, Netflix documentary about a life on our planet and encouraging people to think about their their food choices. And he's not saying to give up meat, but just saying potentially, you know, think about it more. Um, where do you see yourself and and our planet in 10 years time i know that's oh, a tough well, question well well yeah um a two-parter well i will say for to the point of, of sir david over there um i we used to watch his videos in college actually for class and i haven't seen the new documentary although i've gotten that sentiment so i kind of I, I am willing gonna watch it probably at some point this week Oh, that's good. Cause it's say, his mission statement, and um, so if I've yeah. if I've encouraged you to to watch it, that's that's my job done because uh, it's it's heartbreaking, um, uh, it, but also inspiring that there's still a chance. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say, if there's anything that that is, I think that is positive about 2020 um, is, I think there's this growing awareness and it could be either way you look at it whether through the climate change lens or through the um you know the, the food angle of it um what either way you tackle it it seems to be kind of going more towards a plant-based at least plant forward approach to to eating whether it's to save the climate or the environment or the planet as a whole or ourselves from a health standpoint um <laughs> that to me seems positive, like that we're moving in that direction. Now, I am not totally convinced that everyone jumping on the impossible burger train and stuff like that. I mean, they're highly processed. I'm sure from an environmental standpoint, it seems like it's an overwhelmingly good thing from a health standpoint. I'm not as convinced yet, so I wouldn't rely on it all the time, but the sentiment is great. Um, but that I think hopefully that kickstarts at least the movement that trends in that direction. So from a, a worldwide standpoint, I think that would, that I think we're starting to see that trend, hopefully for good. I mean, we'll see how that works out, but hopefully sure. yeah, um, sure. from a, from a personal standpoint, I mean, listen, I, I went to chiropractic school within with my sole intention to get into sports rehab and, I found this kind of nutrition outlet, this food outlet. Um, 
so I think for me personally, like, you know, if anyone's like looking for help in terms of transitioning or don't know where to start or wants to, to you know, how to f- put together a plan and p- find context kind of going forward, um, I would love to kind of work with someone on that or build a community that supports itself um, or it supports each other kind of through that. And uh, I would just, I, hope you know kind of the stuff i share either provide some inspiration or or can help others in some way that's really kind of why i do this so to some extent i want to stay in this this space and i just hope you know it if i could just you know provide some inspiration and maybe just have someone else you know transition a little bit more in this direction to me i think that and we know about all the different health benefits this could have and this, it's not just one health outcome per se, it seems to be more of a systemic effect. So the more we even start trending in that direction, I just want to be part of that change in some way. Oh, you definitely are. And it's the butterfly effect, isn't it, Vincent? And I think, you know, you're doing your part. And obviously, that's just only going to grow and grow and grow with the outlets that you're using, obviously, your website, your YouTube channel, posting on Facebook and your podcast. So undoubtedly, that's uh, surely going to grow. And I'm certainly grateful for the content that I've seen you put out there um, and the recipes, and they they all look super good. Um, so I would encourage people to check Vincent out. I'll put all the details of his sites in the show notes. Well, just one last question to finish up then. What are you reading right now, Vincent? What am I reading? Yeah. Um, I am reading uh, actually this book called Fiber Fueled. Um, it oh, is Dr. Actually, Mark uh, Buzzowitz, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, that's actually the book I'm on right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've got that here. Um, I actually bought the hard uh, Will uh, Buzzowitz, oh, because I probably said his name wrong. Dr. Buzzowitz, yeah. Buzzowitz. He's the MD, isn't he? I think he calls himself the... Yeah, he's a gastroenterologist. Uh, so I think he calls himself on social media the MD, or so I, there's something in there. But I, um, I got the, I've got the hardback, but then I actually downloaded it through Audible and uh, listened to it via Audible because I think you get some extra excerpts sometimes. Um, and I, but I always like to back it back with the the book so then I can refer back to it. But yeah, he's oh yeah, he's brilliant, absolutely fan- fascinating book, a must read definitely. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the other book, I guess that I'm on or, or am starting next is, uh, the longevity diet that's by, uh, Walter Longo. He's a PhD out of, uh, either USC or UCLA. I'm not sure which one, but there's a lot of points in there. At least I've skimmed it. I haven't read it yet. Uh, that are similar to things like the blue zones that I mentioned earlier. So I'm excited to get into that one too. Oh, that's interesting. I might add that to my list because I've got um, a blog post on my website of the books that I've read, the books that I'm reading, the books that I want to read, the books that are in my yeah. my you know, my shopping cart, um, yeah. you know, and I've, I've got piles of them. I, you know, get get through them. I mean, I've got here um, 
the the book by Julian Anders, uh, the gut, the inside story of our body's most underrated organ, and then I've actually got one about depression and anxiety, the drug free way by Mark Greener, which neither of those I've read yet, but I think you know they obviously can link together with the gut. Um, and I've read quite a few others about the gut brain connection. Um, I've got the right. China study, which I haven't actually read. I've still got that. I mean, my I could, well, I could do do myself an injury if my book pile was to fall over. <laughs> 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 but I do like listening to Audible as well. But they they do say you're not supposed to. You should give it your full attention because obviously you can't be absorbing it as much when you're doing something else as well. So I do have to tend to re-listen to certain chapters and, and why I like taking the hardback book as well. But um, that's a great one. I'll definitely add that to list. So thanks, Vincent. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> so um, I'm going to add it to the show notes. But if you just want to tell people where they can find you out on social media. Yeah, sure. So I'm on Facebook and Instagram pretty much daily uh, at Vin Esposito uh, MSDC. Um, I'm on YouTube, just my name, Vincent Esposito. Um, and we have the podcast, Art of Eating, uh, YouTube or Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find it there. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can find me there. Uh, I'm pretty responsive uh oh i have an email address which is dr dr vincent esposito at gmail.com that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me um and then yeah that's pretty much it <laughs> so so yeah obviously worth checking out uh vincent's recipes on there and obviously once you once you get into to one you'll be transitioning to the others as i say the blog posts are, are, are awesome you've got so much content out there so thank you very much vincent i'm sl slowly looking through that myself as well but i just want to thank you uh, i'm really grateful for you coming onto the podcast and sharing your side of things with regards to plant-based and also for you to tell and share your story as to why it's such a good move to be transitioning, uh, not just for yourself as in health, but obviously for the planet as well. So thank you very much for coming on. No problem. Thank you for having me.